Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to yet another coronavirus episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United WeCast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, you can hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and call my agent to find out where you can read me. And when you find out, let me know, because I'm waiting as much as you guys are. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. And this is a particularly special coronavirus episode. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but oh, for the last 24, 48 hours, I have been wondering if I may have gotten the Rona. Um, I'm feeling much, much better, so I'm thinking it was just a little bit of a sinus issue, but day after Christmas, I was feeling pretty low, and I quickly found out that our testing system or the means by which you can get tested is in pretty big disarray. I found that there are drugstore outlets that have their particular uh, means and schedules, and then there's the state and federal uh, process uh, or website, but there's no central location. And There's no place that you can just, and this may be California because the circumstances in California are pretty severe right now, but I couldn't just go someplace uh, today and get tested. I had to have an appointment to be able to get tested and uh, I couldn't schedule an appointment for a couple days from now. So I'm going to try to see if I can expedite that and the way I'm feeling right now, I'm thinking... It was just a sinus deal, but stay tuned. I'll keep you informed as to whether I truly have the Rona or not. But our system, surely we can do better. All right, so the meat of this episode is going to be about the NBA MVP race and what I find curious about how it's being handicapped to open the season which means I should be able to offer some pretty shrewd plays for you gamblers out there or just anybody who wants to sound smart whenever we can get back to hanging out 
in a bar. But I wanted to start with just uh, an appetizer on the James Harden front. And I hate to say this because I appreciate that he's not trying to sandbag his way out of Houston. But what I'm hearing is it's the way he's playing and playing great is not doing anything to lower the price the Rockets are looking to get for him. Now, keep in mind, brand new GM in Raphael Stone, he wants to make his mark. He doesn't want to be looked like the the dolt uh, the doofus that gave away James Harden for far too little had one executive say he should. He should try to get everything he can. He's got the best offensive player in the game right now. And James is certainly proving that. What I'm hearing is that the Rockets want the kind of bag that New Orleans got for Anthony Davis, which for those who may have forgotten included Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, and all-star-in-waiting Brandon Ingram, along with three future first-round picks. That is quite the load. And I haven't heard of a team out there that is willing to give that up, willing or able, particularly when it comes to the places that James Harden has said that he wants to go. It's why Miami bowed out, because they don't have the future first round picks to spare and they'd have to give away far too much of their young talent to compensate for that. It actually would be a smart move by the Rockets. You'd rather have proven talent than the picks, but the value of the picks and particularly with the effects of the pandemic in general and on Tillman Fertitta, the owner of the Rockets business in particular, the beauty of the picks is that you're getting talent on rookie salaries. Not necessarily sure who you're going to get or whether they can play, but you're getting them at a good price. Now, the teams that I'm still hearing might make a play for Harden are Philadelphia, Boston, and Denver. There may be one or two others, but those are the ones that I've heard and I've heard Philadelphia most consistently. Now, all three of those teams have their, they don't have any extra picks, but they do have their own picks to dangle out there should they want to make a deal. But they don't have extras, which means if they make a play for Harden, they're going all in on him being their guy for the foreseeable future. And are those teams really ready to pull the trigger? Boston, I just don't buy. Danny Ainge is always pretending that he's interested. The Celtics are always supposedly interested. And I've heard from too many GMs that Danny does a lot of bait and switch. He promises big. And then when it comes down to actually making a deal, he pulls stuff off of the table, which has irritated more than a few people. They're also... Uh, be truthful there are some teams that are not happy about the fact that Danny was out there trying to move Kemba Walker knowing uh, presumably the condition of Kemba's knee and nobody bit and then Kemba as you probably know is not available and there's no clear indication of when he's going to be back sort of the Isaiah Thomas Thing all over again. He was trying to move Isaiah Thomas. 
and even though there was questions about his health. I don't know if the hip injury was already a factor, but he was damaged goods. And Danny was still trying to move him, hoping that he could dump him on somebody. So that's the reputation that Danny has, at least with a few teams around the league right now. So it may be harder than usual for the Celtics to get anything done. Philadelphia, I don't think it's the right place for James, but if that situation goes sideways, it's just too easy to see uh, Philadelphia making a play, Daryl Morey making a play for James Harden and moving either Ben Simmons or or Joel Embiid. And the way Embiid's playing right now, my inclination would be to, to move Simmons. I've said that before. Do not know which way Daryl Morey is leaning or if he'd try to get it done by not moving either one of those two. Boy, that would be, that would be a get for sure. It, they'd probably have to wait, though, until Houston got desperate. Their season would have to go sideways. And so it would be later rather than sooner. As of right now, I'm not hearing that anything is cooking. Anything is imminent. That can change on a given day, but I would expect to see Harden in a Rockets uniform for at least a few more weeks. All right, now to the meat of the episode, which I'm just going to begin with a question. What elevated Luka Doncic, the Dallas Mavericks young star, to MVP favorite? Candidate, I get but media and odds maker favorite to win MVP this year. I'm not, I'm not getting it. What, what happened in the bubble? Did they not get knocked out in the first round? Yes, made a big shot against the Clippers. Yes, made it competitive, well, sort of competitive, without Kristaps Porzingis. But... As we saw in hindsight, that probably had as much to do with the Clippers as it had to do with Doncic. As you probably know, if you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, I'm not one to believe that numbers tell the story, or at least not the whole story. But I'm also thinking that the analytics people must be the ones that are pushing the idea of Doncic as the MVP favorite. And I'm not sure how we get there, considering that his efficiency is just not very good. He's shooting 31% from three-point range in the bubble, if I'm not mistaken. The assist-to-turnover ratio was 2-1. to one. That's not very good. I mean, he's averaging well over four turnovers a game. His plus-minus in the series against the Clippers was not good. So, uh, but maybe the biggest thing is, in talking to scouts about why he wound up going fifth in the draft, despite winning every award imaginable in Europe and being in an otherwise mediocre draft class, scouts and executives told me that they had concerns about his body. Uh, Not just that he's not a freak athlete, uh, but 
that he that they were worried that his body was going to break down and it's it's not hard to see why i mean i think we've already seen some of that he always seems to come up limping he creates easy buckets for others but you don't see him create easy ones for himself he is clever as they come and i was a big proponent that he was the best player in that draft class i still feel that way but he has to work really hard to get his and he's playing a position at point forward that is just loaded with the best athletes in the game the biggest the strongest Kawhi, LeBron, Paul George, KD, uh, every team seems to have a quality guy, either a quality guy there or a quality defender there. And then at the other end, opposing teams are attacking him every chance that they get. So I'm really mystified as to why he is the MVP favorite closely followed by Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I don't get that one either because it would mean Giannis winning three consecutive years. And that is just, I just don't see that happening. That's a historical pedestal that voters were reluctant to put Steve Nash on, even though his third year was better than his first two. But I know the mindset of my fellow voters. And it was, now he's, we, can't put him, we can't put him on that pedestal. Um, unless the voting body has been taken over by analytics-based media more than I realize. I just can't see my media brethren putting Giannis in the class of Larry Bird, Bill Russell, and Wilt Chamberlain. The only three players to ever win MVP for a season three years in a row. They also have Steph Curry uh, with the next highest favorite to win MVP. And I could have told you that a month ago that that wasn't happening. Largely because the Warriors aren't going to be good enough to get him anywhere close to the record that he would need. To make that happen is he their most valuable player whatever they're capable of doing is it going to ride on on steph yes but he's not this is the distinction when it comes to steph as a superstar and i do put him in that care category although he's he's a unique one we often think of superstars who can carry teams kevin durant can carry a team lebron james can carry a team Kawhi leonard can carry a team Steph Curry can't carry a team what he can do better than some of those other guys is he can lead a team if you give him a good enough team to win a championship he will mold his abilities and his ego and his persona to get the most out of what is around him he has that kind of skill set LeBron James can't do that LeBron James, the ball has to be in his hands. He can't play it off the ball on a consistent basis. Not sure Kawhi really can either. KD, no, you got to play through him. And Steph ended up winning rings and leading the Warriors by making room for Kevin Durant. Still finding his, still having an impact, but 
not having to do everything and being okay with not doing everything. So those are the top three on the list. Dosic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Steph Curry. And then most of the odds makers have LeBron and Anthony Davis next on the list at an equal number, a plus 900. I saw one place. Which, again, LeBron James, of if you asked me to pick among those five, LeBron James would be my first choice. He was at the top of my ballot last year. But I don't know that he's going to win. I wouldn't suggest that he's going to win. He probably should, <laughs> but I don't think he will. The beauty of all this is that it opens up some great value plays for anybody who's interested. Now, there's some baseline things to consider when trying to figure out who might be a likely MVP winner in a given season. First of all, Russell Westbrook winning when his team didn't have one of the top two or three records in the conference is an outlier. It's an anomaly. Generally, you have to be on a team that has a chance of having one of the best records. I'd say one of the top four records, top two in either conference, makes you a solid candidate. Two, you have to be regarded as the best player on your team. No questions asked. That, I suppose, is where the Doncic favoritism comes in. Because he has no competition on that front. And a number of the other players mentioned do. In fact, that may be it. Giannis doesn't have any competition. Steph doesn't have any competition. And so they're the top three. But if you look a little deeper, there are some great value plays. Starting with Damian Lillard and Kevin Durant. Both of them, I believe, are listed at like 1,200. So... You bet 100, you win 1,200 on both of them. And as I look at the Blazers, they're good enough, deep enough. And keep in mind, this is a regular season record. Not sure what they're capable of in the postseason. But as a regular season team, they're built to have a great record. So, and Damian Lillard is going to be seen in that Steph Curry light where... Is he going to get a lot of help from his supporting cast? Yes. But Damian is one of those guys that is going to be the unquestioned leader, setting the pace, and being the guy who delivers in the clutch, and facilitating that everybody else gets theirs. So he's going to get credit that the entire team does well. He's going to get the lion's share of the credit. So if there's a certain reluctance to give it to Giannis if Milwaukee ends up with the best record in the East again, or to give it to LeBron because he and Anthony Davis are sharing, or Kawhi because he and Paul George are sharing, then I could see where Blazers wind up with the second or third best record in the Western Conference, especially since they're not projected to do that. And Damian puts up the numbers that he's been consistently putting up. He'd have a shot. I would say the same for Kevin Durant in the East with the Nets. Yes, there's Kyrie Irving right next to him, but there's no question that that KD is considered the better of the two. And as it stands, 
Again, I'm not sure what they are as a playoff team. I have my doubts that they can get all the way to the finals. But I would expect that they're going to have a fantastic regular season record just because their offense is so dynamic. You also have Kyrie's inability to stay healthy, which could open the door to KD playing a huge role. Another guy that I think is a great value play is a little farther down the line, uh, Nikola Jokic with the Denver Nuggets. I don't know if you noticed the start, but dude is averaging a triple-double. And yes, the Nuggets have come out of the gate a little bit slow, but they're another team that I could see having maybe the best record in the Western Conference, or certainly one of the top two or three. And if Jokic continues to put numbers up like this, then he is going to be the analytics favorite. Even though I think Jamal Murray plays a big role and is closer to Jokic than maybe people give him credit for as a player, and as a meaningful impact player on that team, Jokic gets the lion's share. Jokic is the only guy that I've ever heard considered an MVP candidate on that team. So at 1,600, also uh, a, a very good play, I would say. And then the, the best one that I, just is a long shot, super, super long shot. And that's Trey Young with Atlanta. Another team that could surprise people in terms of the record that they have. And while the talent and the ability to build that record is going to come from a lot of different places, Trey Young is going to get the lion's share of the credit. And as based on the way that he's played to this point, uh, his ability to marry his scoring with his passing right now is going to convince a lot of people to look past whatever defensive shortcomings he has. To summarize my feelings about the MVP race, if you told me I could have Luka, Giannis, and Steph, or KD, Dame, and Jokic, I'm taking the latter three. KD, Dame, and Jokic. One of those to win it. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Just as a programming note, I don't know that this is ever going to become a full-on wagering betting podcast, but I have been studying up and reading because I'm fascinated by how betting is going to impact the game in a variety of ways. And I am looking to, uh, to write about that. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by people who study it the way that they do. It's a different way uh, of looking at sports, if, you're, if you want to be successful, that is, at wagering. But I'm also just interested in the impact that it's going to have on athletes and teams. And I will say this, just as an aside, I have to believe that the NBA officiating has to get better uh, with wagering and gambling uh, becoming a more prominent part and a business partner. 
They have a lot of new young refs. And again, if you've listened or heard me or read my work, you know that I worked as a D-League ref uh, to write a piece for ESPN the magazine. I've gotten to know a lot of officials over the years. I've never bought into the conspiracy theories. I understand how difficult, absolutely difficult the job is, more so than ever before. One of the things that's really caught my attention is just how fast the game is being played. And to make the split-second decisions and calls necessary, especially when the physicality of the game has really been reduced. It, it is a difficult, difficult job. But that said, they are missing a lot of calls. Just blatant foot on the three-point arc line, uh, ball being kicked, uh, just a lot of a lot of calls that honestly instant replay I'm, I'm not a big proponent in using it liberally but they may have to with as many mistakes as these referees are making and i'm watching closely it's not the vets for the most part good to see bill spooner back by the way i thought he had retired i'm guessing they pulled him out of retirement to even out the number of new referees that are in the mix but it's not enough they need to up their games the guys and gals need to up their games in short order because the mistakes look usually the mistakes even out this is why i'm not a conspiracy theorist but there are mistakes being made fundamental mistakes being made at the end of games that are really impacting the outcome who wins and who loses. They're that severe and that untimely. Last item I want to hit is just a brief look at the offseason moves by the two teams in LA, Clippers and the Lakers. And if you've heard me recently, you know that the Sunday beatdown by the Dallas Mavericks is proof positive that Hiring Ty Lue to replace Doc Rivers and bringing in Serge Ibaka and some of the other changes has not changed the fundamental flaw of the Clippers, which is they simply don't have the leadership necessary to win a championship. Are they going to be good? Are they going to be formidable? Yes. Do they have what it takes to ultimately hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy? I do not believe so. Yes, it was an early start. Yes, it was two days after Christmas and the day after the Clippers, since they were on the road for their Christmas game in Denver, the day that they celebrated Christmas with their families. But the Dallas Mavericks had been on the road since December 22nd. And it was an early game for them too. And yes, they were coming off of two very disappointing performances while the Clippers were feeling themselves, and they didn't have Kawhi Leonard. But that, it's the lack of resistance. And I talked to somebody with the Dallas Mavericks because I wanted to know what it felt like. I wasn't in the building. What it felt like to, to watch. And they said there was indifference from the very beginning. There was no resistance. Yeah, everything fell for the Mavericks. Yes, the Clippers missed some wide open shots. But they never had that moment where 
Paul George or Ty Lue or somebody on that team gathered everybody and said, hey, let's make a run. Let's make a stop. Let's, this isn't good enough. They accepted their fate. Ah, you know what? We'll get the next one. That's how they ended up going down against Denver. Up 3-1. Ah, we'll get the next one. So it says to me they haven't learned their lesson and that fundamental flaw that emerged in the bubble is still very much with them. That said, everybody talked about, and me included, looked at what the Lakers added and what the Clippers did in the offseason and felt like the Lakers won that battle in a landslide. Getting Montrez Harrell to come across the hall, adding Marcus Gasol, adding Dennis Schroeder versus Serge Ibaka and Luke Kennard and Nicholas Batum, that the Lakers had clearly added the greater amount of talent. I'm not so sure. Maybe in terms of pure talent, but in terms of fit and what the team needed, what I believe that the Clippers did, and wisely so, is they increased their team IQ. Montrez Harrell, I've always appreciated for how hard he plays. He's not a very smart player, and he's an energy effort player, and to the nth degree. That doesn't necessarily work playing with LeBron. So I will be interested to see ultimately how much of an impact Montrez Harrell has and how much he plays, particularly at the end of the games. Now, Marcus Saul had my doubts about what he had left. The fact that Toronto was willing to replace him with Aaron Baines. Some of that may have been that Mark was just ready to go. But I also believe that they realized he can't do what he used to do. He's still a cerebral player as a playmaker at the five position. It compensates for the loss of Rajon Rondo uh, in terms of other people other than LeBron who can make plays. But he's not the shot blocker or the presence in the paint that Dwight Howard was and when JaVale McGee was in his right mind, what he could provide. It's a very big difference. And the Lakers' size suddenly is significantly different with Montrez not really being a shot blocker and a good on-the-ball defender, not always a great help defender, and not a guy who's necessarily organizing you on the back line. So I'm not, it's early, but I'm not convinced from the early view of what the Lakers added that their frontline changes have been the improvement that everybody assumed that they would be based on the names. Dennis Schroeder, I believe, is a, a great addition. Still a little bit of a wild card, but gets after it defensively, has that dog mentality. He fits. And Wes Matthews, not getting a whole lot of run right now. I don't know how much of an improvement he is over Danny Green. Schroeder is the one addition. But what the Clippers did with the addition of Ibaka in particular instead of Montrez 
is obviously they got a floor spacer. Uh, they got floor spacers everywhere, which is going to create more space for Kawhi and Paul George to operate off of pick and rolls and in the mid post, particularly with Kawhi. I believe that's very shrewd. Montrez couldn't step out, certainly not the way Serge does. Luke Kennard, knockdown shooter. Uh, Nicholas Batum, same thing. And uh, very solid defensively. So when I look at ultimately what they gave up, which is Montrez, Landry Shamit, and Jamichael Green for Nick Batum, Serge Ibaka, and Luke Kennard, I have to say collectively, they improved. And I'm not going to say that the Lakers didn't because I believe that Dennis Schroeder is a nice addition. But we'll see whether collectively they actually did get better than what they had last year. All right. That does it for this episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In the next episode, I will give you an update on my Rona situation, and we will take a look at the bottom of the Western Conference, not the very bottom, but the bottom of the playoff picture, where a number of young teams, the Phoenix Suns, the New Orleans Pelicans, to name two, are vying to join the party. We'll take a look at what the prospects of them actually doing that or whether we made a little too much of what we saw from them in the bubble or not. That's it. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 